What's up? It's Jared Cagle. This is a podcast called Burning Questions because we are answering your burning questions. All right, Burning Questions. I don't know what episode it is. This is we've been doing this for a while, and it's then we been took a, a while. Break. Also, yeah. COVID nineteen, yeah. and oh man, I mean, how long? Fifteen weeks of of quarantine, something like that. You guys been quarantining? <laughs> no. Not not in the slightest, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Negative. Yeah, the complete you. opposite. My life actually got more busy. <laughs> did it? Did it, man? Yeah. Let me let me introduce you to the voices that you're hearing uh, for our for our audience out there. Uh, who knows how many, but. Whoever's listening, let me introduce you to the voices. Sam Bowman, student pastor, Chester Mountain Church, pretty fresh here. Some of you have seen him before as a as a guest on Burning Questions. Welcome again. Yes, sir. Yeah. What's up, everybody? It's gonna be a good one. We're talking uh, today with our friend Marquis Kelly. Hey, Junior, not senior. Senior. There we go. Your son's Junior. Mm-hmm. See. Only cool people can be senior with a son. <laughs> That's OG status. That's the, you right feel there, me? Baby. You feel me? Marky, yeah, I appreciate it. Kelly, <laughs> Officer Kelly. How's it going, sir? Good to see you. Good to see you. Rich, rich illustrious history. Four years in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Simplify. Oh yeah. What does that mean again? Always faithful. Always faithful. Yes, oh yeah, sir. Baby, that's it. Come on with that. <laughs> loyalty, baby. It's loyalty. Always faithful. What is, is Latin? Mm-hmm. Do you have that tattooed? I do. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Four years in the Marines, four years now almost in uh, the APD, Atlanta Police Department, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, man, and you're not even 30 yet. <sighs> Two kids. <laughs> Crazy life. Oh, yeah. Crazy life. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I got myself into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. That's awesome. Well, we're excited to uh, be together and be back talking Today we're going to talk about some stuff that's a little heavier. Mm-hmm. We always talk. I don't know what I'm saying. We always talk about heavy stuff on the podcast. Oh yeah, burning it's burning, questions. baby. <laughs> it's burning. <laughs> it's burning. It's always burning. But of course, you know, uh, lately we've our world has been going through some stuff that we we just feel a big burden to address and to talk about, especially in our country right now, uh, as racism is at the forefront. Um, you can't turn on the TV without talking about this and having a conversation and seeing whether it's a city, you know, that where there's protests and different things happening or another viral video of someone being murdered on the street. Like the, these things are happening and we we feel passionate about engaging in this conversation and learning and understanding what's our role as people, what's our role uh as as the church what's our role as christians how do we how do we navigate this how do we talk about it so uh we want to we want to do that today so we're going to call it out from the start before we get into some questions uh we do have a candle because it's customary to have a candle for burning questions this one is uh, the brand is White Barn for all of you candle lovers out there. The, the scent is Midnight Blue Citrus. He was taking pictures of it earlier. He was like, man, this is Come on, good. Kelly Kel. I got to go home and get this. Come on now. Talk to me about Amazon it. Prime, maybe? Well, you know. Probably. <laughs> White Barn, that's the brand. What do you experience when you smell this this candle right here? Like, what? what talk to me about it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I thought it was a blueberry. It's blue midnight. You know, it's just the aroma just hits me. It is just bring it a little closer. It it, it brings me to a place of peace. You know what I mean? Something Ooh. I just disappear to. You know, it's okay. I gotta have this in my bedroom. I nice. Oh, bedroom. it's a bedroom candle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, one of okay. those. Oh, yeah. Huh? Okay. Is, you know, yeah. 
I'm married, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man, this is nice. I need that in my life. Oh, we just peeked down the microphone right there, man. It's too much. I love it. I love it. Cool, cool. Sam, talk to us uh, about where we're going today. Take take over. Help us get organized. You know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I w- I just want to set up the conversation yeah. today because what we're going to talk about is very emotionally charged Mm. and I want it to be clear about what our objectives are. I'll just be straight. We're in a predominantly white Mm. community, predominantly white church, and we can't possibly understand. We're not in a position of understanding where you're coming from, where our black brothers and sisters are coming from, in everything that's going on in our culture today. And so that's the first objective of this conversation is to come to a place of understanding. And we're not in a place where we can understand. And so it doesn't happen unless we seek it. And so we're here to seek understanding by hearing from you, brother. And we want to go deeper than that and Mm. go from a place of understanding to empathy. Yeah. And we can't, we cannot empathize with what we do not understand. Yeah. And so, um, I'm thankful to, to you being here to give us a little insight into your personal experience so we can understand and empathize with you. Your sharing is going to allow us to bear that burden. And that we have no answers today. We got no answers or solutions to problems. We just want to hear and we want to be with you and hear your experience. So thank you for being here. Um, thank you guys for having me and having the heart to do this, man. Seriously. Thank you, guys. And this is the part where we get out of the way and just let you talk, all right? <laughs> so I'm going to tee you up with a couple questions. And this Shoot, first one, uh, this, this first one here is just such a broad question. There is no right answer, and there's no way that you as one black man could answer this question. But my first question to you, Marquis, is what is it like to be a black man in America? Man, that's a question right there. <laughs> <laughs> It's painful. Mm. It's hard. Um, you really don't know what people think about you. You know, you get surface smiles, but what do people really think about you as a person? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's always different things that runs inside the back of your head. And that's always been the thing for me. Like when I see people and they smile at me, you know, hey, how's it going? It's like, I wonder what you really think about me. Uh, and that's something I've always struggled with, you know, because uh, behind closed doors, who knows what people really say about, about you? But I know what I've been taught, and I know the history mm-hmm. to things. Um, so growing up black in the man has been painful. It's a, a place where you always have to put on your guard. You always got to protect yourself because you don't know what's going to come from where. So you're always in a place of defense no matter what. Um, mm. That's been one of my main experiences. Yeah. Mm. I wondered if you could talk about maybe a specific experience um, and just kind of shed light on a specific experience that has shaped you where you experienced racism. Yeah. Um, I think I'll take you to my very first experience. So uh, I grew up in Stone Mountain on Memorial Drive, went to elementary school out there. My parents, the area where we stayed in wasn't like the best of areas. So my parents, we moved out to Gwinnett County at the time and went to elementary school called Gwinnett. So I was in the third grade. Uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember like my first day getting to school, um, I was the only black kid in my class, the only one. 
some kids come, hey, are you from Africa? You know, like wow. these crazy questions. I'm, I'm third grade, you know, I really don't know. You know, like, you know what? I'm like 20, 30 minutes away from here. You know what I mean? Right. And um, it was a teacher there. She was the first one. It's probably like a few days into the school. She let me know that I would never amount to anything. I would never be anything. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty much just here as entertainment. I, and I was going from a black school to a white school. And I was, I was making good grades, had all E's and everything, you know. But uh, when I transferred over and having that kind of spoke over me, I started to, didn't really understand, but it started to really affect me in ways I didn't wow. understand. And yeah. I started to lash out, get into trouble, and that started to turn into a downhill spiral thing. I'll be isolated a lot. Um, I'll go to ISS, little back rooms. I wasn't really near around other kids, and I couldn't tell my parents. I didn't know what was going on. I'm thinking this is normal. You know what I mean? Um, wow. So third grade was my first experience where I dealt with that. You didn't. You didn't tell your parents at all. Like you just kind of held it in. My dad found out maybe less than a year ago, and actually broke my parents' heart because wow. he's like, "I wish I'd have known. We would went up there." You know, my parents went up there once because I was like, "Why my son keep getting in trouble?" You know, he used to be a good, good kid, but y'all make him seem like he's some terrible kid. You know, I'm sitting there just like, "Well, he just talks a lot, and you know, uh, he wants to be the center of attention." You know, but my mom's like, "I'm supposed to be entertainment." You know, y'all like me when I'm, you know, if I'm trying to learn, I'm getting put down. You know, but again, I couldn't articulate myself then, so I'm just like, you know, so. And that kind of broke their heart hearing that because as a parent they felt as if they didn't protect me but they didn't know yeah man that's deep for a second i don't want to move like too quick because uh share a little bit more about like why you did i mean you you're talking about 20 years of not sharing this with the people that you trust the most in your life uh, I know, I'm sure that there's other people maybe listening, whatever, that are going through the same thing right now in middle school, high school, sure. yeah. that aren't saying anything to anybody and they're just keeping it in and it's affecting, it's starting to shape yeah. who they are. Um, that's a real thing. Like, say, maybe talk about why you felt like you couldn't say anything or shouldn't say anything or, and then also maybe talk about like how how detrimental that it you know like how much yeah. that really did affect you growing up uh mental health is a real thing but in the black community that's like a sign of very big weakness um you, wow. you can't really cry or express yourself you know um you can't be so distraught or broken you know weak you know you probably get put on punishment you know it's that's kind of like the cult the mindset amongst the culture you know, you, those things, you got to keep locked away. Bad things happen, but the world is mean. You got to be strong. You, you, you can't show those things. So, of course, you know, then, you know, now you're growing up, you're not expressing yourself. So you have all this anger and just rage pent up inside of you. As you're talking about, it's starting to take form. We can start to see these things. Yeah. Wow. When did you realize that that was, like, happening? Like I would imagine, and I don't, I don't know, but if I'm in that situation as an eight-year-old, as a 12-year-old, as a 15-year-old, I don't even know what it's doing to my, to me, like in the deep parts, you know. Like when did you realize that this was happening to you, you know, like that that this was really affecting the way that you are as a person because you were suppressing it? Does that make sense? Is that a yeah? No, nah, most definitely. Um, I think about the fifth grade. I think. Um a few more 
black kids came to it and to the school and naturally we always gravitated towards each other and so we were able to have small conversations um, and that right there started to amongst what our parents taught us no matter where they were from we all kind of got the same kind of experience in education so we all knew oh it's because we black and they and they're white and then so about fourth or fifth grade it was just this is the barrier we're over here y'all are over here y'all don't like y'all don't like us cool you know and that divide started to really settle in wow. and grow by the fourth or fifth grade i believe when did you ever have anybody from like did you, when was the first time that you had a white friend that you truly trusted and felt like cared for you <laughs> oh man that's I was in the Marine Corps I think uh Ryan Bemis <laughs> Crazy white guy, <laughs> crazy. Uh, we we had made him boot camp, and we've been. If I think of person who I can go to, who I trusted, anybody else I was with before that time, it was, hey, let's get together, and have some fun, you know. Hey, do this crazy thing, you know, while people watch and laughed at me. I thought we were all friends, but I was really just another form of entertainment for him. I would do things that they would that they would, wouldn't do, and I would get into the most trouble, and nothing would happen to them. I don't think I really had any like white friends I knew and trusted. I always thought I was the joke. I was I was the punchline. That's who I always was. What did he do? Ryan Bemis. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, shout if out to you're Ryan out there, Bemis. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I got a little notice in the podcast. <laughs> and just it like for a second I was like, I don't know that he has anybody coming to mind. And then it became real specific in like an instant. Like, <laughs> Ryan Bemis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Simplify, stay faithful. What, when did you, or no, let me ask you this way. Uh, what did he do or what was it about the relationship? What was it about him that made you know that he cared and that you could trust him? So he made him boot camp and like the thing that first Friday, you have to run like your initial like test. It was like a three mile run or something. I'm a sprinter. I'm not a distance runner. So my three miles, like 25, 26 minutes. And he was the same way. So we just ran beside each other. It was like, hey, bro, you know. <laughs> and every time we took that test, we always found each other. And um, wow. and we find each other in a, in a sucky time of our life in, in a boot camp. And um, we left boot, boot, uh, boot camp. He went to a different school. I went to a different school. Um, I was out in California. Uh, he came back from Afghanistan probably like two or three years later. And we're like, bro, what's up? What's up? And we were just like white on rice. We I did a poetry night one time, and his name was Pepper. My name was Salt. We just kind of, you know, we kind of flipped it. So he had this thing called Salt and Pepper. Um, hey, but no, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just found each other, and we just related to each other. It was always genuine. It was always real. He had my back in some crazy, crazy times I was in. Stayed at my house. I was broke. Hey, bro, let's get some drinks. Bro, let's relax. You know, and the same mm -hmm. thing I was there for him. And yeah, it was, not, it was nothing but genuine love. Genuine love. Man, I love that. I, I love Sam from your – so one of the things I love about you, you played sports. You you know, if people are watching right now, they would think you're a coach for the Atlanta – <laughs> I know, right? Awesome. This can be deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> you, played ball, you played ball growing up. You've been – you know, it, if you grew up in a locker room, 
most likely that was the most diverse place in your life, you know, like in general in America, I know for me, those were the most diverse places that I was in. And you've been a part of a lot of that. You, you have a lot of friends that aren't from your same background. Um, I wonder from your perspective, um, what like speak into what he just shared about his friend Ryan and how you've seen that play out. Like, because I think we can overcomplicate this a little bit, you know, like even as I asked him the question, how'd you know that Ryan cared for you and you could trust him? I'm expecting like a specific, you know, man, huge story of impact. And he's just like, man, we just, he was just real. Like we were together. We just lived life, you know, talk about that from your experience. Well, uh, you know, growing up, I almost interjected earlier when you said that you were from Stone Mountain, East Atlanta, because that is where I was born and raised before I moved up here. And then we were backdoor neighbors. But before that, I lived off of Memorial Drive, too, which was like an all black area. So my my uh, elementary school, there was myself, my sister and I think two other white people in the whole school. So that's where I came from. So it was normal for me growing up around lots of black people and I, I didn't see color as a kid. Hmm. You know, I, it, was, it was normal for me. They, kids asked me, I always had like a darker skin complexion. They asked me if I was mixed and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna Just, lie, I kinda <laughs> thought so. I'm not gonna lie to you, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just to fit in, you know. But we were, we were brothers, you know, we were friends. And then I moved up here in first grade and up into the suburbs more predominantly white area but as jared was sharing in a lot of the circles i walked in playing basketball playing sports a lot of my friends were black and nothing really changed for me i think you know because my of my perception from an early age um i just didn't ever treat them any differently than anyone else i mean they were part of my family they would come over spend the night at my house um and so it i mean there really was no difference for Mm -hmm. me you know as as far as black friends or white friends um and it it always came naturally and Mm -hmm. easy to me just to but that's not the same for everybody you know um so it's good yeah i i think what i'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is like, it's love, man. Like it's genuine, yeah. authentic, real love. Like, love knows no color. I mean, it's yeah. universal language. Yeah. That's it. And there's, obviously we're different. We're not saying that we have no differences and this removes, you know, <clears throat> all of these things that are different about us. Love supersedes that. And you know, it's, I just think that we overcomplicate it. And I know for me growing up, I overcomplicated it to the point where I was paralyzed by fear to even talk about it. Yeah. Right. And now looking back, I see how I perpetuated the problem really, you know, whether it was in my friend group or like a, a joke is told and you just don't say anything or a little thing, you know, it happens all the time. And if you're not, what is the quote? Silence is, uh, what is the quote? Silence is violence. I think is the quote. 
I just heard yeah. Wesley Herndon in my ear. It's crazy. Like he, <laughs> he's, that, how good is that wisdom right there from? Yeah, he like must have said Spirit. that to me before. <clears throat> Silence is violence. But I, or acceptance. Or accept. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that Martin Luther King? I just, I just something you know the scene it you know oh that's marquis yeah. kelly senior <laughs> yes sir. senior write it down uh, silence is acceptance i was a part of that i i perpetuated yeah. that and me too um i didn't know i was but i was and so i think the maybe one of the biggest takeaways even from this conversation for me is don't overcomplicate love to the point where you're scared to move and scared to live and walk with people that are different than you thinking that you got to have all the answers before you step into a conversation just just walk in love right right what does that look like yeah what <laughs> does that look like <laughs> so we're up here trying to figure it out that's why we're initiating a conversation we don't know what we're talking about we're just yeah. up here trying to open up a conversation it's and like you said don't become, like this is it this is love mm -hmm. you know the willingness to do something that you don't want to do for the benefit of others. That's good. That's good. You're you're a cop. Oh yeah. You're I a cop. Thank you that. for your service. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We do appreciate it more than you know, especially right now. It's crazy. Yeah. You've been called in on the front lines of, of the city of Atlanta in the in the protests that have been happening and um not so peaceful protesting that's been happening and uh, so I have a question on my heart for you as a as a black man and as a as an active police officer in the current state that we're in I want to know how we can support our police and how we can stand for our black brothers and sisters at the same time you know, it's a. I've also been in a way a headspace like that too, just trying to figure out where I even belong in the spectrum. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's been such a difficult, stressful process. It's like came sleep at nights and just wow. stress. Me and my wife breaking down, crying because you know it's yeah. it's been so heavy. Um, I think we should stop putting such a separation between the two um being on the front lines like we like we've learned like between the black community has been such a divide even amongst people in our own culture like being on those front lines is we're on this side and they're on the other side but it's like if everyone would just know our hearts as like wow yeah outside of this uniform yeah even in this uniform we all have the same hearts like yeah. we do this job because we want to see the right thing happen, not the wrong thing. Right. But because, you know, y'all, because people are protesting, we have to hold the, the professional side as hold still and let y'all say whatever. But deep down, we want to break down and cry with you guys. Mm -hmm. We want to stand up for what's right. We want the right things to be held. You know, we, we want people who's doing wrong to answer for their yeah. crimes. Yeah. And we want the right people to be glorified and upheld. Yeah. Um, we got to figure out a way to bring that together to stop the division that the media and the yeah. politicians are making between us. Um, we got to come together as one, as, as a people, as a nation, we have to come together. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the best way to explain that. Um, it's a good word. You know, that 
it's interesting that you say that I, and I feel like in this conversation that the media and the world wants to put you in one camp or the other. Wow, it's yeah. uniquely a struggle for you because you happen to be a black man and a police officer. And so you're probably getting it from both sides, you know, like you should feel this way about it or you should feel that way. And the more that I um, have followed Jesus, I realized that following Jesus puts me a lot of times right in the middle, not in one camp or in the other but right with him and people on this side are going to disagree with me and hate me and people on that side might disagree with me um what has that been like to with your faith like being a christian in the midst of all this conversation um and you know being out there on the front lines having conversations with people um and taking jesus with you everywhere you go too that's got to be hard can you talk about that it's extremely hard and that's been one of the most difficult things I had like think about and try to press on because from a Christian uh, the Bible says when you get baptized you become a new person new creature Hmm. the old things are in the past right Right. how can I be just so pro-black when the so pro-black things don't align with scripture but if I just hold on scripture to the black community I'm a coon I'm a traitor I'm the white man slave still. I'm in my own mind. And that's what I get from people in the black community, people who I know, mm-hmm. people who know me growing up, you know, people who knew me before I came to Christ, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's it's such a hard place to be in, um, to see someone that you love, someone who, who you want to help stand up for, and that person's throwing acid on you or throwing uh, broken bottles of glass at you, spitting on you, and you that sit there and take it. It's like, guys, this persecution, like, I don't know who to be right now. They hate me, you know. Yeah. Half the other white people hate me too. Um, who really like God? I'm stuck right now. It's wow. turning the other cheek becomes really real. I don't All even. Of a sudden, I, yeah. I was praying like God. I don't know who I am. Who, who I'm supposed to be right now? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Wow. If I keep standing up for what's right, you know, heads black, you just do that. Then it's just like everyone just really hates you, you know. Because if we're Christians and we're believers how can we even engage like the rest of the world? And I think that's part of the biggest parts of the um, separation is everyone is picking sides instead of being who they're called to be and standing up because if we're all putting God in Christ first, then all the love Mm. that we're supposed to give out, we're going to be giving out love instead of division. We're going to be focused on Jesus instead of black and white and cops. Yes, sir. Because if Jesus, we can put Jesus in the midst of all of this, then we're doing something. Jesus found Paul on a road to the mat to the masses, wants to kill Christians. How mm-hmm. come we can't be in that space? Yeah. Yes. To stop and to pray and to put the Holy Spirit there, so He can do the works and not us. So mm-hmm. it's been, it's been tough. It's been tough, and just trying to stay still on what I believe is true. Yeah, yeah that's so good. It's so good and so painful at the same time because in my own life, identity, I know how important identity has been for me in my personal struggle. Like, And what you're describing from your experience is a whole nother level of like the world has been telling you your whole life that you are something that you're not. I mean, the 
the image of God. You were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. The world was not telling you that. (laughs) And it's still not telling you that. The world right now is, again, it's putting us in camps. And, man, like, uh, when are we going to take a step back and see that we were all created in the image of God and to bear that image the reflection see I think about it in terms of a mirror it's almost like what we've done especially in the church and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus but it's like we've taken a a sizable mirror and we've just duct taped the whole thing to where there's like four inches and and four inches available and you could just see one type of face and it's like all these other people are around God's designed it to be a full reflection with the full mirror, and we've limited the mirror to where it's like the most segregated hour in America is yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And it, and so I think about that, and I get really fired up, and I get discouraged, but then I get excited because of people like you who are literally like, this isn't just talk for you. You're living it out, and you're yeah. not – you're not doing it haphazardly. You're not doing it without um, a passion. You you have a passion to see the truth proclaimed in the middle of the battle. Yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me like, "Don't go to that," uh, you know, "Don't go to the the protest. Don't go to the street where people are. Don't go, you know, don't go have a conversation there because it looks like you're supportive of." violent protesting are you supportive of this you're supportive of that it's it's political don't do that and i'm like i just feel a conviction as a christian to do what jesus would have done and that is to go to the people yeah Yeah. like are we going to the people or are we saying no i can't go in the middle of that because it looks like i'm taking that side or i'm supportive of this I, i i can't i can't deal with that like we are called yeah to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. And how, like you're saying, how is the gospel going to be, how is the Holy Spirit going to breathe in a situation right there through us if we're not willing to go in it? Yeah. Yeah. And so that, I'm sorry, that's, that's like way too long, but I'm like, it that's fires good. me up and it gets me, it gives me hope to see you and to see what you stand for and your, honestly, courage and bravery to just stand up right in the middle. And Absolutely. we need to be looking for more opportunities like that. Yeah, um, even to piggyback off you said, it's um, if we don't go, how is any of that anger and rage and hurtness being truly healed? I you know as Christians, as a mirror, as spiritual people, we got Jesus, we're good. We're calm, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, you know, it's like as we feel good, Jesus gave us a commandment to go make disciples amongst all na- nations. And if we don't want to go there because it looks some kind of way, wow. where would we be if the people before us in this book right here didn't go into those difficult wow. places to face that yeah. adversity? Wow. Um, and that's what I keep in my forefront. Like, this is what I'm trying to follow. Lord, I'm feeling miserably God, but I'm trying to follow it to the best of my ability. Um, it's like, do we really stand for what we believe in? Is something I've asked myself that a lot of times. Do I really believe in this? Is this what I really, really believe in? If I really believe in this, as I say I do, I can't be a hypocrite, and I gotta go and be who God has called me to be. We should be running into it with because we should be 
excited about going in because we got the answer of hope, man. Yeah, like, we got the only answer. We got the only answer. And they don't know it because of the things that we've suppressed within our community for so long, they can't even begin to fathom that. That has to be act of God. It has to be, but God can't move if we don't go. Because he uses us, he sends us. <laughs> Come on, brother. I'm just, and that's crazy. He's just getting into it, you know. <laughs> and that's crazy. Yeah. That's good. That's crazy. What's a, we, we probably, we can wrap it up with this, but I'm, that leads us to kind of a practical place, right? Like, what, what's a good first step? And the, the question is for humanity. Like, yeah. as Christian, as the, ch- the global church, the body of Christ, what's a first step? Like, what's a good, you know, in terms of racial reconciliation? And we're not going to solve all the problems that Washington is, you know, trying to solve. Right. But what's a first step as a Christian? White, black, Hispanic, wherever you're from whatever you do what's a good first step in your in your opinion brother the first step it's two parts oh two steps two steps come on break it down two steps two steps it's a two steps two steps going in two Um, steps going in two (laughs) steps I had it, man. It was good too. Sorry, I made you. <laughs> nah, nah, it was good. Cool. Started good, singing good. the two-step and messed the you up. So I'm gonna give it to you like this. Then um, we have to be willing to go and willing to love. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. There are so many issues between so many people, so many cultures. There's so for a hundred years, there has been so many issues. It's impossible to tackle all these issues. We have to pick one issue that we can fight together as brothers and sisters mm. tackle that and move forward to the next one um that's why like i said well, we can't overcomplicate it. it's like god we can't do this god what the first thing we can do and tackle it but all that starts on love because we love because um going back to what you said like you know how can we empathize how can we simply like you know as pastor brian said the past sunday like you guys could never experience the things that I experienced because you guys don't walk in my shoes. I don't walk in you guys' shoes. But you see me broken down crying. Like, bro, my, dude, my brother is broken here. I can go crouch. I can pray for you. How can I help you here? Not with this right here. Yeah. That starts by love and a willing to act. It's a willing to go. It's good. Strong. It's good. You got some thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I and it, for me... It's always just been about a conversation. You know, Brian has encouraged us to have a conversation, and that's the whole point of this here is just to have a conversation and then put it out there for other people just to hear. Um, we got to understand one another, where we're coming from. And um, I think that we something we've kind of circled around and already said, but maybe just like an approach to the conversation is important to note too. It's like... We don't have to have answers when we come to the conversation or when you go, like you're talking about going with love. You don't have to have answers or solutions like love is the solution. Just going and being there, like being with. So I think that like thinking that you have to have the answers is sometimes what paralyzes us. It paralyzes me from going, talking to my black brothers and sisters, like being like, I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm white. Like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, how can I speak? But that can paralyze me from just putting my arm around somebody that wow. I know, you know, that might be hurting and just being there, just being willing to cross that line. 
So, um, yeah, I think just just willing to being willing to empathize and just be with and not offer a solution, but just, you know, engage. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Well, we burnt the candle. We burn up a conversation. We sang two-step. Probably shouldn't have done that on the <laughs> church podcast. <laughs> the next line was going to be a little, you know next what I'm saying? Time, <laughs> next time we'll teach a dance. Mark yeah. yeah, we'll yeah, get up yeah. Here. Right, 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 right. But we appreciate you so much. We're yes, grateful for you, appreciate you guys, man. who you are, what you stand for. Uh, personally, I, um, I have such great respect for you, for your wife, Um to stand in the gaps that you stand in yeah. uh, takes a lot of bravery, a lot of patience, yes. uh, a lot of long suffering, because um, certainly I know, and we've talked about it, and it's not hard to see, but you, you know, um, you really exemplify what it's like to put preference aside in a lot of in a lot yeah. of ways and say we're going to choose love and we're going to choose to follow where God is leading us. And we feel he's spoken and told us to be here in this community and doing this and working here and do it. And, uh, you've walked into some hard situations and you've done it with a lot of bravery and you've been faithful. Semper Fi. So we appreciate you. you. We appreciate you, brother. It's been good. Till next time. Till next time. Yeah. Just make sure y'all bring another candle too. Cause this was amazing. It has to be here. That's it. Burning questions. All right, all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Burning Questions. If you have a burning question that you've been longing for an answer to, DM us on our Instagram at cmcstudents underscore.